Effective Living with Reverend Henry Hubert. May you be blessed as you listen. Now, the message. Lord, you Today, I'll be teaching on um, leadership development. In the early part of the year when we started our Bible reading challenge, I felt like God was strongly talking to me about this subject. God spoke to me from many, many scriptures, which some of which we'll read today. We want to look at leadership development. Now, this topic um, combines two important words. The first one is leadership, and the second word is development. What is leadership? Every time we do leadership seminar, I try to define leadership. And it's very important because if you don't know what the definition of leadership is, then uh, everything else you are going to learn will be useless. Um, so what is the definition of leadership? And uh, every good Christian must know what leadership is. What is the definition of leadership? Leadership in its simplest form simply means influence. It means the ability to influence people positively towards the achievement of desired goals. When we talk about influencing people, we are trying to say that leaders position themselves in a way and manner that people willingly want to follow their example, model after them, go in their direction. Leadership is not forcing people to do something you want. Leadership is not threatening people to do what you want. Leadership is living your life in a way and manner people have volunteered to follow your example. That is leadership. Leadership is influence. Influence means ability to have followers. So when people follow you, it means you have influenced them. I mean, when people willingly follow you, that means they are, they are glad to do what you want them to do because they trust you. They respect you. In fact, there are, there are five important things that enables people to follow you or five important things that enables you to influence people. The first one is respect. People must respect you. You cannot influence somebody who doesn't respect you. The second thing that enables people to follow you is trust. When people trust you, they follow you. When people trust you, they are easily influenced by you. They, they admire you and they model after you. So the first one is respect. The second is trust. People must respect you. And uh, the important thing we need to know that respect is end. And so is trust also. Trust is not a one-time event. The third one is that people must understand you. That means you must be able to communicate with people well. People must respect you. They must trust you. They must understand you. And the fourth one is they must admire you. How do people get to admire you when you are very competent at something? So leadership requires that you must be good at something. You must know your area of strength and be very good at it. Most of the times, you get to influence people who want to be as good as you are in a particular field. 
Um, so we talk about role models every day. Uh, somebody who is a movie actor will not take a footballer as his role model. He will definitely take an, a veteran movie actor as his or her role model. You get it? So what makes you influence people is your competence. You must be good at something, very excellent at something. At least one thing in your life you must be good at. It makes people to admire you, and the people you influence are the people who admire you. They admire something you do so extremely well, and they say to themselves, I want to do well like that person, and then they want to learn from you. So there has to be respect. There has to be trust, understanding, and how do you get respect? You get respect by having a very good character. Good character. If your character is bad, you cannot be a good leader. How do you get trust? How do you get people to trust you? You must have credibility. Credibility. People respect you because of your character, but they trust you because of your credibility. When we say credibility, what do we mean? We mean you are an honest person you, and you have integrity. The third one is what? Understanding. People understand you when you are able to communicate well. So if you want to be a good leader, you must learn how to talk well, how to communicate. Some of the best leaders in the world are very good communicators. If you want to be successful as a, a leader, no matter where you function, whether in business, corporate world, or church, or pastor, you must be able to communicate well. That means you must come to the place where people love to listen to you. When you communicate well, it makes it easy for people to understand what you are thinking because you cannot lead people who don't understand you. Very, very important. You cannot lead people unless they understand you. Um, people cannot speculate whilst they follow you, but they need to understand you and know why we are doing things the way we are doing it. So you have to be able to communicate very, very well. And that is what helps you to get people to understand you. The fourth one is what? Competence, isn't it? Okay, so you, I've spoken about that already. Admiration. And I said that you get people to admire you when you become very competent at something. And the last is your ability to relate with people. So respect trust, understanding, admiration, and the last one is connection. People are able to connect with you. People are able to connect easily with you. And the key to getting people to connect with you well is how you relate with people. That is how we gain influence. So what about development? What does it mean to develop something? The word development is means a process by which someone or something grows or becomes better. The process by which someone or something grows or becomes better. So when we talk about development, we are simply saying people or something becoming better than it is before. It's also defined as the process by which someone changes to become more advanced. It's also defined as the process that produces an improved and a better version of a product. Putting the two together... I define leadership development as the process of helping people to acquire the skills needed 
to function as effective leaders. The process of helping people to acquire the skills needed to function as effective leaders. So our first scripture that we'll read is in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Most of you know this scripture. I said, and God said, let us make a man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowls of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And verse 28 said, and then God blessed them and God said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and have dominion and have dominion. So when God created mankind, in Genesis 1.26, we see the purpose for which God created human beings. And what is the purpose, of, the purpose for which God created human beings? God created human beings to have what? Dominion. Why did God create human beings to have dominion? So let us make a man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. So if you want to answer this important question, why did God create mankind? If you want to answer this question according to scripture, the answer is here. God created mankind to do what? To do what? To have dominion. Yeah. If you ask religious people, they'll tell you things like, oh, God created mankind to worship him. God created mankind to serve him. All those things are just religious statements. It's not biblical. God's purpose for creating mankind is to have dominion on the earth. The word dominion means to govern. It also means to rule. Maybe if we can look at Genesis 1.26 in the Amplified Bible, God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image after our likeness and let them have complete authority. Have you seen it? Complete authority, which also means govern or rule. So from this scripture, we see that God created every human being to exercise some level of governance, some level of authority. The important truth that I want all of us to understand today is that every human being you ever meet was created by God with leadership potential inherent within the person. Every human being on the earth was created by God with a leadership potential in him. Every human being created by God is created in the image of God after the likeness of God with a leadership ability in him. So there are no few people born to be leaders and the rest were born to be followers. It's not biblical. God did not create a few people to be leaders and the rest to be followers. God created everybody with a leadership potential in him or her. Very important, basic foundation to leadership. Inherent in every human being is a leadership potential. But the question you ask is, why is it that many people don't become leaders in their lifetimes? 
some even become leaders, but they're not good leaders. Why is it so? Because being created with a leadership potential is not enough to make you a leader. The process by which people with a leadership potential translate to become good leaders is what we call leadership development. The reason why many people don't become leaders at all is because the first reason is because we don't even understand what leadership is. Number two, because we don't submit ourselves to the process of leadership development. I'll say that again. The reason why all human beings are created by God with a leadership potential, but not all become good leaders is because we don't understand what leadership is and we don't submit to the process of leadership development. I have experienced that when you talk about the subject of leadership, especially in church circles, many people don't understand what it is at all. So anytime you talk about a subject of leadership, many people count themselves out. Oh, we are not among. It is those people who are part of it. Because the word leader is so seriously misunderstood and confused. Many people mistake leadership to be a position or a title. A leadership is not a position, it's not a title, it's a life you live and your life influences people. But for you to know how to live a life that influences people, you need to learn it. You need to learn it. And that process of learning how to become a good leader whose life is influencing many people is what I title leadership development. So, very important. In the absence of leadership development, many people will live all their lives and never believe that they are born to be leaders and never become leaders. Or some will come to the point of finding out that they were born to be leaders, but never become leaders. When you look at our natural generational systems, you know, every father knows that his son is also going to become a father one day, isn't it? Uh-huh. So the father is telling him, don't do this, don't do that, do things this way, do things that way, because naturally the father knows that this boy who is now crawling, or now trying to learn how to talk, one day is going to be what? A father. And how many of you know being a father is leadership? Because your children are supposed to follow your example if you're a good father. So you see, even being a father is a very critical leadership responsibility because if you fail as a father, all your children are messed up, and not only your children are messed up, Generations are messed up because what you pass on to your child, he passes it on and on and on and on and on. So you see that even in the home, every parent is a leader because you are the first example that children are getting exposed to. All parents are leaders. If you're a father, you're a leader. If you're a mother, you're a leader. Get out of the home. Once you begin to grow into adulthood, some way, somehow, your life interacts with people at your workplace, in the family, and on and on and on it goes, everywhere you find yourself. And then if you begin to get responsibilities at work, 
where other people report to you, you are beginning to function in leadership position. And it happens that way. Even if you work, work at a place where you are not the one that people report to, you can still live your life in a way and manner. Um, most of you have seen before in an organization at a particular workplace, in the department, the one carrying the title head of department is not as respected as another guy in the same department. Have you seen that before? Yeah, because that person, the way he carries himself, the way he behaves and the way he goes about it, and maybe the competence the person has, has made people to respect him more than the one holding the title. I see. So in that department, you realize that the real leader is not the one holding the title. Even in our families, we can see it. Santa, we, have, we know somebody we call the head of family. But there are somebody else who doesn't have any title in their family. But that person is more respected than the head of family. Is it in your family like that? Now, it should tell you, the person with the real leader in that family is not the head of family. It's the person everybody respects. In fact, sometimes if he, he says, I cannot be available, they won't even hold a meeting. Because they consider his contribution to the discourse so important. And the ideas he brings across and the life he models and the thing, the way he goes about things, his help to the family is so significant. He's not holding the title. So leadership is not necessarily you holding a special title or having a special position, but how many people's lives are being impacted by you. That is leadership. Now, for you to become a very good leader, there is a leadership development process that you must sub submit yourself to. I want to say that there's a difference between development and training. Most of the time, people use these words, they exchange this word during their normal conversation, but technically, it's not right. They, are, they mean two different things. Development and training are two different words, and I want us to understand it very well. Training has to do with a task, what you do. Development has to do with you as an individual. Training is what is passed on to you. Development is what you invest into yourself. Development has to do with you as an individual. Training has to do with the skill or the, the, the duties. So we are trained to do things, but we are developed to become someone. We are trained to do, to work, to do a particular work well, but we are developed to become someone specific in life. So if a driver is, if someone goes to the driving school to go and learn how to drive, he's taught all the important instructions about how to drive. Now, why is it that two people go to the driving school, they graduate the same day, they had the same trainer, but the two of them, after few years' time, you hear different testimonies about the two. You hear this person is a very good driver. Everybody wants to join his car. Is it, is it true? Why is it that all doctors go to the same medical school, they come out, they have learned everything about practicing medicine, but some doctors, people, people say they are very good doctors, and others, people say they are not very good doctors. Sometimes when somebody says this person is a good doctor, he's not trying to say he knows the medical practice more than other doctors. But it's the kind of doctor everybody wants to go to. Is that true? So sometimes I've been to very big hospitals where 
the consultation room one, two, three, four. There's a particular consultation room. The queue is almost empty. There's another consultation room. The queue is long because nobody wants to go to these doctors. Now, did all they all go through to the medical school? Yes. They all learned what it takes to be a doctor. But as individuals, they are different. One is very caring. He talks to you well. He listens to you. He, you know, by the time you are leaving him, you, you are even half cured by the cordiality. There's another one, the way he's talking to you, like you are dying more. So training teaches you what you must do. Development shows you what investments you must make into yourself as an individual. And that is what separates successful people from failures. And every profession you enter, there are success, very successful lawyers and there are lawyers that are average or not doing much. And the two, all of them went to the law school. Probably they graduated the same year. It's same with pastoring. Bible school can never make any pastor a successful pastor. Because in the Bible school, all you get is training. So the certificate, Bible school certificate has never made any pastor very good. In fact, I know pastors who have never been to the Bible school, but are very excellent pastors. So the reason is because don't mistake training for development. What has made every pastor successful is that in addition to the training, they went through a process of development. What makes business people successful is that in addition to the training, they went through a development process. What makes every CEO successful is not, is not an MBA. There are many, see, there are many, many MBA holders who are horrible CEOs. Am I saying training is not good? No, that's not what I'm saying. In fact, training is very important because it helps you to have the theoretical framework behind the, the, the specific professions that you pursue. It helps you to know the important details about how to go about your function as a leader very well, but that alone cannot make you a very successful leader. All right, let's go on. So I have um, something important here from one of the leadership experts in the world today. His name is Dr. Samchand. If you want to learn leadership a lot, I'll recommend this man to you. His books, you can access him. He has a lot of materials on YouTube and also on podcasts, and then you can learn a lot. Okay, all right. Dr. Samchan said that training is very easy. Why? You just teach the people and then you are gone. But development is very difficult because it involves a process of mentoring and coaching. Training is easy. You know, sometimes you go to some training programs, you realize that the facilitator didn't even read through what he was going to teach because the thing is already either on his notes or on a PowerPoint. He comes and then he said, people project the thing. And then he reads truth to the people, and now he's done, he's gone. He has finished his training. The rest is up to you to go and learn it or not learn it. And whether you learn or you don't learn, a trainer doesn't care. But when it comes to development, it's not hit and run. It's not coming to tell you what you should do and go away. Development is a process. All right. So it involves two important words: mentoring and coaching. So let's look at these two words. Who is a mentor? A mentor is someone who shares his knowledge, skills, and experience to help others develop. 
So when we say a mentor is someone and uh, who shares his knowledge, skills, and experience. So you see, trainers only impart knowledge, isn't it? But development, you are going to have to receive skills and experiences on a consistent basis over a period. A coach is someone who provides step-by-step guidance to help others achieve specific goals and reach their full potential. We want to try to understand at every point in time in your life, you should know whether you are dealing with a mentor or a coach or both. Now, let's, let's look at the difference between a mentor and a coach. Mentoring is long-term most of the time. Coaching is short-term. Coaching has to do with helping you to achieve a specific goal after that is over or helping you to develop a specific area of your life. You know, there are life coaches who you can subscribe to them. I want to develop this area of my life because I find it difficult to do this or I want to learn this particular thing. They take you through a process and, and, and that is it. But mentoring most of the time is long term. Uh, mentoring is more um, instructive and directive, but coaching is, is, is more interactive and involves assignments and results. So when you are dealing with a coach, he's going to give you more assignments, uh, more work. Sometimes you'll, you have to do the work together, but most of the time you have to do the work and submit results and over a period and, and through that the development process is ongoing. Uh, mentors um, teach you more, teach you what you should do, how you should do it, why you should, you should do it. And that is the difference. But not in a very structured way. Mentors don't teach in a very structured way like coaching. Coaching is more structured. There has to be appointments, for example. And there has to be um, even um, a specific um, how would you say it? Timetable programs for each appointment and what is going to be done, the specific outcomes that are expected, and all that. Mentoring is not very structured. It means that it can happen without an appointment, it can happen anywhere, and it's not very formal. Mentoring focuses on de- developing the individual, and coaching focuses on improve performance and achievement of goals. Another important one, mentoring can be close. That means you can be mentored by somebody close to you or somebody very far away. In fact, you can be mentored by somebody who is even dead. You can be mentored by somebody whom you will never meet the rest of your life. But coaching cannot happen that way. Coaching, you have to, it has to be one-on-one or at least there has to be some direct communication. How do you... Decide. This is where the subject of leadership development becomes more very serious. How do you decide on who to take as a mentor? How do you decide on who should be a mentor? In other words, not everybody can mentor you. And not, not everybody should be called a mentor. Very important. Not everybody should be called a mentor. For people to be called a mentor, they need to have some characteristics. The first one is that the person must have keen interest in helping others succeed. And I want to say that there are people you meet who are very great achievers, but they don't want to share their experience with anybody. They don't want to teach anybody. They don't believe in others becoming as great as them. 
So if you follow such a person, calling him the person your mentor, you are just worrying yourself. You will never reach anywhere because you are following somebody who doesn't want to see you develop. So a mentor must be someone who has a keen interest in helping others to succeed. It is his greatest joy to see others do well or sometimes better than him. And you need to find somebody who is so interested in your success, in your progress. You need to find someone. And I want to say here that that is why many people are failing in life. I've seen people who have great vision, great ambitions, great desires, passionate to do, but they don't have anybody. They are surrounded by many people, but all the people are not really interested in their growth and their progress. They, they pretend to, but they actually are not. You know, leadership development has not started as long as you haven't found a mentor. Leadership development has not started in your life at all. Uh, number two, they have great experience, knowledge, and achievement in specific result areas. Very important. Peter says, silver and gold have I none. Such as I have, I give you. Nobody can give what he doesn't have. You cannot call somebody a mentor who has achieved nothing, who knows nothing, is doing nothing except talking. You know, there are some people who are good at talking, but they can't do anything apart from that. But if you want to take somebody as a mentor, you are looking at somebody who has achieved success in the area you are aspiring to achieve success. So the person must have results and be willing to share with you what it takes for you to also become what? Successful. Great experience, knowledge, and achievement in specific um, result areas. Number three, very good interpersonal relationships. I mean, the person knows how to relate with people well. He doesn't treat people anyhow. He's not rude. He doesn't disrespect and undermine people. He doesn't betray trust. Um, you don't share your secret with him the next time. You hear it all over the place. But he's a very, I mean, excellent interpersonal relationship person. Because the person you'd call your mentor, you are going to commit a lot to the person. So there has to be trust. And if you can't trust somebody, you can, he cannot mentor you. Number four, ability to bring the best, to bring out the best in people. Good mentors bring the best out of people. They see things in you you didn't even see that you have it yourself. They see things in you that you never know is there. They believe in you more than sometimes, more than you believe in yourself. That's a mentor. A mentor is someone, when you think you are finished, it tells you you can make it. They encourage you. They motivate you. And the most important one, they model very good character. It's very important. For me, I think it is one of the things that is making many people to not do well, following the wrong people, picking up on anybody you meet anywhere without taking time to analyze, is this person capable of taking me where I want to go? That is what I think is the problem, the big problem. How many of you haven't heard this word before? It's so common that somebody wonders, why do I have to come and teach about this? But you know why I'm teaching about this? Because it's very common but misunderstood. The whole process of mentoring is so seriously misunderstood. And that is why I feel very compelled to teach this. So not everybody in your lifetime you should call a mentor. We want to look at Jesus as an example. 
In the book of Matthew 4.19, Jesus introduced the subject of mentoring when he said to, I think, Peter, James, and John. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They were fishermen, isn't it? That means they were fishing for what? For fish. Jesus said, when you follow me, you will not fish for fish anymore, but you fish men. So Jesus was trying to tell them, um, you will become very improved in fishing to the point where you fish something greater than ordinary fish. Dr. Otabo was saying that Jesus had to use that statement because he wanted to use something they were familiar with. They were already fishermen. So I'll make you fishers of men. But Jesus was trying to say, follow me and you will not remain the way you were when I met you. That's mentoring. Follow me. He didn't just say, stay with me. He said, you should do what? Follow. He didn't just say, stay with me, hang around me, everywhere I'm going, carry my bag. And anytime I show up in the, in the news about me, you're also there, you show up. He didn't say, oh, you be the closest person to me. And he said, follow me. So Jesus, by that statement, was establishing an, a very powerful and important principle in leadership. That for you to become a great leader, you need to be developed. You need to go through a development process. And you will become a thousand times better in all that you do than before. Now, why did Jesus do this, by the way? Because what was his main assignment? To come and die and save us, isn't it? Yes. But Jesus made it clear that he's dying on the cross, shedding his blood to save mankind, would be useless if he didn't raise leaders. So Jesus avoided death many times. Have you seen that in the Bible before? There are many times they tried to catch him, to kill him, and he escaped. And I said, ah, but this is the very reason why you came. Why do you keep dodging it? Because he knew there is a work he needed to do. And that work was what? Discipling some few people who will become very efficient, effective leaders that will hold the structures and systems of the church when he is gone. He wanted to pass on the baton to a people who can successfully ensure that Christianity doesn't die off. And that is an important lesson I want us to learn, that the success of every organization depends on good leaders. The success of every family depends on good leaders. The success of every church depends on good leaders. Leadership is so important. That's why if an organization is failing, they don't sack the workers, they sack the leader. Very common in football. When a club is losing matches and running into relegation, they don't sack the players. They sack the coach. Are you getting it? But look at the people Jesus chose to train as leaders. Look at their backgrounds. Four of them, Peter, James, John, and uh, what was Peter's brother's name? I think Philip. They were fishermen. Commoners. Commoners. Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem to, to pick up people in the Sanhedrin and all the scribes and the, 
the lawyers and all those people. He didn't do that. He picked ordinary people and developed them. Great leaders are not people with great privileges, born with great privileges. Great leaders are ordinary people who decided to learn, to go through the process of leadership development. He went to the tax office and he called Matthew. I realized that when Jesus was calling Matthew, he didn't say, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men because Matthew was not a fisherman. He just said, follow me. Now, Matthew was a tax collector. And if you, if you know a little bit about Jewish history, tax collectors were people who were not respected at all. They were, they were people that were hated by the Jews because of their attitude and behavior. They inflate the taxes, take a lot of money from the people, and then pocket a lot of it and send the rest to the, the coffers of the, the governor. Now, the Jews hated them because they are also people who seem to be on the side of the Roman government more than Jewish tradition. So, you know, tax collectors were not respected. But Jesus went and picked one of them. And at the end of the day, he wrote the book of Matthew. Look at the people Jesus picked. It's one thing I want you to understand is that you can become a very great leader if you are willing to. Every one of you, listening to the sound of my voice, you can become a very, very excellent leader all the rest of your life if you are willing to. But there's a process that makes that to happen. But then let's look at some important things Jesus said. For instance, in the book of John 14, verse 12, many of you know the scripture. Jesus said, anyone who believes in me, the works that I do shall he also do. And greater works shall he do because I go to my father. So Jesus was somebody who actually was excited about helping people to do better than him. Let me say that again. Jesus was someone who was always excited about helping people to do better than him. And that is the kind of people you should look out for as a mentor. People who want to see you do better. And there are people who don't want to see you do better. There are people who think you don't even deserve to be sitting here today because they think you are nothing and you can amount to nothing. But you don't call somebody a mentor who only points you to your weaknesses, your shortcomings, and tells you you are not good at this, you are not good at that, you are not good at this. That's not people you follow as a, as a mentor. In the book of John 15, Jesus made another important statement. I think verse 15. Is it 15? Yes, I think verse 15. No longer do I call you uh, servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I've made known unto you. So Jesus eventually was saying that you started as my disciples, but I've been able to raise you to my level. That is mentoring. You start below me, but I work hard on you so you can rise to my level. That is very important. Every one of you, if you want to be an excellent leader, you have to identify your area of performance and you need to find a mentor that can mentor that area of your life. By the way, you can have more than one mentor in life. I think I'll come to talk about that. I think I'll come to talk about that. The first thing I want to say about leadership development is that never make the mistake to call everybody you meet a mentor. The fact that somebody is above you does not necessarily mean he can be your mentor. You need to look out for certain qualities, and that are the things I've mentioned. 
people that are interested in seeing you succeed and excel and do well. People that have your interest at heart. People that are happy to share their experiences, their successes, and their secrets with you. They are willing to make sacrifices to invest into your life, to bring out the best in you. They will push you. They will challenge you. They will provoke you. They will do everything. And when you do wrong, they rebuke you. And when you do right, they celebrate you and they encourage you. That is what you look out for in a mentor. And I, and I think that this is where many people really miss it to start with. I mean, this especially for, because I'm a pastor, um, as a pastor, almost every pastor I meet as a mentor. But some are not doing well. Some are not achieving anything. So I think the problem has to do with what we are learning today. Knowing who actually a mentor is. Is the beginning. The next problem is what I'm getting into now. There's another problem. The first problem I said what? Knowing who a mentor is. Now there's another problem. The second problem is that the success of every mentoring process does not only depend on the mentor. A lot also depends on the mentee, the follower. The other side of the leadership development challenge is that there are many people who have good mentors, but they still don't end up very good leaders. They don't become successful because having a good mentor alone is not enough because, remember, development is about investment in yourself. Training is about being taught the task to do. So the problem with Many, many people is, they have a good mentor, but they don't follow them. They don't learn from them. I put there that, this is Mike Medock's statement by the, that I'm borrowing. Mike Medock said, John and Judas had the same mentor. Jesus was their mentor. But you know how they both ended. Solomon and uh, Adonijah had the same mentor. David was... Their mentor, but they all didn't end up well. So that is another big problem that contributes to the leadership development challenge. That the fact that you have a good mentor does not mean you will become successful if you don't know how to take advantage and follow the process. The process. Let's look at the process. Let's look at how do I take advantage? How do I make sure I benefit from the mentoring process? How do I ensure that after finding the right mentor, I am able to go through the development process? How do I do that? Seven important things that you have to do. This is where we have a very, very big challenge. Seven important things. The first one is your loyalty to the mentor. When we say somebody is loyal, it means the person is faithful. It means the person is reliable. It means the person is dependable. It means the person is not treacherous. He doesn't say one thing here and before I realize he's saying another thing somewhere. He doesn't betray trust. A loyal person is someone 
who doesn't betray trust. If you are disloyal, you cannot get the best out of any mentoring process. Number two, respect. Now, you cannot call somebody your mentor and, be dis and disrespect the person. One of the things that motivate people to go out of their way to share their heart with you, to invest into your life, to share their experiences with you, to do all they can to help you get very far, is the respect you give them. Respect. Very important. Number three, willingness to learn. Having a teachable spirit. You can have a fantastic mentor and learn nothing from the person because you are not even interested in learning. Now, <laughs> how do you get to know what your mentor knows when you are not learning from him? How do you get to know what your mentor knows when you don't... Will he just lay hand on you once and all his wisdom and knowledge and experience and skill is imparted to you? No. But I must say that, interestingly, that is what most pastors do. When pastors say, somebody is my mentor, they are looking for a one-time laying on our hands which will cause some miracle to happen. Many people have great mentors. You know, I have a friend who can go straight to Pastor Deboe's office, just like that. He's a Ghanaian. He goes, he can just book appointments straight. He still doesn't have a church. He's not pastoring now. Every time he's old, this year I'll start. He's sitting at home. I mean, nothing to talk about in ministry. He has pictures with Pastor Deboe. So... Even God can be your mentor and you, are, you, you amount to nothing in life. Are you following me? I haven't met Pastor Deboe before. I listen to his preachings. I read his books. And I think he, that man has impacted my life more than this, my friend I'm talking about. Because mentoring is about learning from somebody, not just associating with a person. Not just, lay, oh, this guy, Adeboe has laid hands on him, oh. But there's nothing to do. If I want to preaching, it's boring. I've come to realize that laying on our hands does not impart anointing more than your respect for somebody. Even the anointing, you don't receive it with your head. You receive it with your heart. So Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirits and they are life. So Jesus told the disciples that when I talk to you all the time, I impart spiritual from. Let me say that again. A mentor is somebody you learn from. If you are not learning from somebody, you are just saying something for the sake of it. If you are not learning from somebody, you are just saying something. And this is the problem. There are many, many people who mention all the big names. You know, let me share my personal experience with you. I think about 10 years ago, a lot of my friends, close pastor friends, I don't think they all had a discussion together, but I just realized it was happening spontaneously. I'll be there, and one of them will come to me and said, I want you to take me to Pastor Eric. I want him to be my mentor. And I said, fine, then we'll go. I'll take the person and we'll go to my pastor. I mean, I was thinking, why were they asking me to take them there? I think being close friends, they've studied me for a long time. They realized that I don't have any other secret that is accounting for my progress except my relationship with somebody above me. Because I think most of them pray like the way I pray. They read the Bible just like I read. In fact, if you stay with me, I don't have any 
special secrets apart from the fact that I pray, I read, I live my normal life, you know. So I took all of them there because I believe so. I, I may be wrong, but I believe they felt there's something about this man that is impacting Pastor Hubert's life and we also want it. Now, I took all of them there, but nothing changed. Nothing changed. Why? Because it's not the mentor alone that makes the thing happen. The follower. That is why John and Judas did not have the same results. You know, John was always busy trying to ask questions and learn. Judas was busy pocketing money. He was making money out of Jesus' ministry. <laughs> so let me say that not everybody who calls you a, men a mentor is... Don't call yourself a mentor over people who don't learn from you. The whole issue about the word mentoring is about learning. You must be teachable. You must be ready to learn. I listen to Dr. Otabel every week. Every week. Mondays. Whatever he preached on Sunday, I listen to it on Monday. And after listening, I, list, I play any of his messages on podcasts. Sometimes the whole day. Including the ones I've heard before, I hear it over and over and over. Now, I meet Dr. Osabel only once a year. And most of the time, it's very short. I think the longest I've done for now is 17 minutes. 17 minutes. But I consider that time very important because I have my questions well ready and very attentive to what the discussion is going to go and everything. And after that, his messages are there that I can listen his books are there, I can read. And so, if I tell you that Dr. Otabel is my mentor, it's not, it's not mouth talk. It's something I do consciously, deliberately, seriously. And he knows. But do you know that after a while, you can tell the people who really follow you without them saying it. When you meet people who follow you, your spirit can pick it up. I'm saying he knows because last was it last week we did a church growth conference? Uh-huh. You know, Reverend Albert Okran was cracking a joke. He said, the whole day's conference, all the people ask questions. I'm the only one whose name Dr. Otabo mentioned. You heard him mentioning my name twice. And Albert Okran said he doesn't understand why they all ask questions. Doc didn't mention their names. I went to ask a question. He mentioned my name. After answering, he, he called me again. Because when you follow people, eventually they get to know. Because following people is a hard thing. It's not a mouth talk. So all these flatteries. You know, sometimes some people, when they meet you, they talk and say all manner of things, but they don't mean it. They don't mean it. They are not learning anything. They don't take you seriously. They are just joking. Don't be looking out for flatteries. Don't be looking out for cheap talk. Look out for people who really want to learn from you. And, and you, there are many ways you can see it. So one of the young pastors that I brought up who has a church outside Accra, he came to visit me one time. He spent three days in my house and left Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. He left on Saturday. And he never asked me one question on ministry. You know, he never asked me one question. For the three days, he was just enjoying my house. And then I told myself, I'll never, ho I'll never host that guy in my house again. You know, such people, they're always calling you my spiritual father, my spiritual father, but they don't learn anything. I don't take such people seriously. I don't think of such people seriously. Because if I had just 30 minutes with Pastor Kujo, the amount of questions I'll ask. I mean, even if the question doesn't make sense, I'll ask. Because 
the person is not my friend. So why do you want to be chatting? If you want to chat, look for your friend and chat. If you meet serious people who know more than you know and have achieved more than you have achieved, you can reduce the conversation to casual chats, talking football, politics. You do that with your friends. Are you hearing me? You do that with your friends. But when you meet serious people, you ask questions. You ask questions. You ask questions. You, and there are a lot of questions you have in your private moment. There are a lot of things bothering you, all of you now. You, there are answers you need to questions in your life. And you meet people, very important people, very learned people, very successful people, very well-achieved people. And, you know, you learn nothing. You meet somebody you call your mentor and you learn nothing and yet you call him a mentor. I mean, you are, you are making a big mistake. A mentor is someone you learn from. So you have to understand if there's no learning process ongoing, there's no mentoring going. There's just, there's just uh, rhetorics. If there is no learning process going on, mentoring is not happening. Philippians 4 verse 9. He said that things which you have what? Oh, talk to me. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw. What do you do? You do them. That's mentoring. You learn. That means there are times where the person will teach you. There are also things you can't learn. You receive them. There are things about somebody you call a mentor that you, you crave for. Anytime I meet the doctor, the first thing that happens to me, I feel so stupid. The man has wisdom that is out of this world. If if never stuck with him one on one, you don't understand what I'm saying. If you you sit down with him, you know how how Bathsheba felt. She, the Bible says she brought hard questions to Solomon, isn't it? And sometimes when I'm with Doc, I think of questions that I know this this one. The man will see that yes, I've come. But by the time you finish answering, I feel like, then why did I even ask this question? This, the answer is so simple. I mean, you should, I should have, you should have thought of this. He asks you questions that make you feel like you, you don't think. Like, and I'm not the only person to say that, you know. So there are things you receive. There are things you cannot be taught by anybody. But when you have a good heart and you crave for it, you receive it. If you have a good heart, because God looks into your heart and see how much you desperately desire this. The things you have learned and received. And the third one is, and you heard. So a mentor is someone you listen to. You listen to. A mentor is someone you listen to. Not you talk to. Not, a mentor is someone you advise. It's someone you listen to. And every time you listen to the person, you receive more wisdom. Anybody who cannot instruct you is not your mentor. It's something else. Anyone who cannot instruct you is not your mentor. If you cannot listen, you cannot be developed into a good leader. And you saw in me. So there are things you see as you watch. You are not just learning from the instructive mode of teaching, but you're also learning from observation. I learned how to lead prayer by watching my pastor lead prayer. And I watch it for, for a long time and I just do what I, I saw. I learned how to minister to people by watching my pastor. I used to be the armor bearer to my pastor. I've traveled with my pastor all over this country, carrying his Bible. Go from program to program to program. I just watched the way he did it, and I do it. And eventually, I, had, I added my own originality to it. 
that some people can, can, will never watch and learn from anybody. You understand? They never watch anybody. They never learn in, from anybody. You know, when I'm watching some of the best preachers in the world, I don't just listen to the fantastic revelations. I watch their style of preaching, their mode of presentation from beginning to the end, the introduction, the scriptures they took, how they work on it. Observation. If I go into a church like Open Heavens Temple, I, got, I cannot help it but to observe, look around for something new I can learn. Look around for something new. You must have that attitude of always being smart at learning, even through observation. There are things nobody will sit you down and say, do it like this, but you watch it. You watch it. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do it. That is Paul's uh, formula for mentoring. You do it. And what will happen when you do it? He said, the God of peace will be with you. <laughs> and the God of peace will be with you. In 2 Timothy chapter, he said, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. That means teachings. This Paul was talking to Timothy, and I, and I hope you remember Timothy was, uh, Paul was Timothy's mentor, isn't it? He said, you have carefully followed my heart doctrine. Now, Paul was telling Timothy that he has been very good at following him. And you have to work hard to come to that place where the person you call your mentor, you are not the one who is telling him, you know, I'm a very good follower of yours. No, if you are a good follower, the mentor should tell you that you are a good follower. He said, you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life. So Timothy was not just even learning only what Paul was teaching him, but even the way he conducted himself, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long suffering, my love, and my perseverance. <laughs> Paul was telling Timothy, I have watched you and I realized that you followed me so well. And I pray that um, all of us will come to that place. In every area of your discipline, in what you do, you should come to the place where people you refer to as mentors can be able to say this about you. Then you know you are going to be a great leader. You have carefully followed. Now, number four is to be passionate. Passionate means you must have a drive. Something must be driving you. You know, I think, I don't know whether this year or last year, I spoke to some pastors and I said, they are not hungry for anything. I mean, it's hard to mentor people who are not hungry for anything. They are not passionate about anything. They are comfortable with where they are. They are happy how they are. But passion is one of the things that enhances good mentoring. You must have something that is driving you that you want to achieve. Number five is to, to be discerning. The actual word there is discerning, not discernment. I don't know. I think I'll come to this when I'm ending the teaching. Number six, diligence. You can't mentor a lazy person. <laughs> you cannot mentor a lazy Because success is not cheap. It's not easy. It's hard work. So if you want to be mentored, but you are lazy, you are lazy, you can't push yourself, you can't work hard, uh, you, 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 make, you, make the, you frustrate the whole mentoring process. Then the, the last one is um, proactivity. Proactiv to, to be proactive means to be someone who does not react, but you know clearly where you are going and you take the initiative by yourself to do things the way you want to do it. Proactive people are not competing with others. 
They have their own agenda they are pursuing. And they are not easily distracted. You know, there are some people who don't do nothing until somebody else is doing. You know, the, the only time they move is somebody has moved. Oh, they move, then I also move. Now, that, that's, that's, that makes it difficult. You know, a proactive person must have a vision for his life. He knows his mission. He knows what he's pursuing. He knows what he's working at. And he knows what he wants to learn. And he knows what he wants to receive. So it makes it easy for you to mentor the person in that process. You know, I know a young pastor. Almost every year he comes to me, he's doing something new. No consistency. Every year he comes to me, he's doing something. Then I'll ask, but last year when he came, he said, you are going to do this. Oh, yes. And, and each time he's telling you, God spoke to me to do this. <laughs> every year God is saying something different. So now it's difficult for you to know how to guide this person because you put in so much effort the next year, he's coming and said, this one, let's throw it away. Now, this is what God is saying I should do. You know, no. Proactive people are consistent at what they do. And they know where they are going, and they are working at it. And um, talking about designing, you know, sometimes it is very easy for you to bypass the person God gave you to mentor you. It's very easy. That's why I put the word designing there. It is very easy. Are you following me? Very, very, very easy. So sometimes when I became close to my pastor, there are some pastors who used to call him friend that I thought shouldn't have called him a friend. They should have rather called him a mentor. Now, there is, the reason why they call him friend is because either they grew up together or they went to school together. But he was, I, can, I could see the, he's way ahead of, in fact, I am ahead of some of them. In ministry. And, and I look at the way they go about things. I said, oh, many experiences that I have received and the many, you know, experience I have gained out of learning from pastoring, they haven't got it because they are not even seeing the person as a mentor. Yes. So designing. I'll give you many examples. Last time we had church group conference in uh, Open Heavens Temple, which people are supposed to log in online. All pastors. But many pastors of ICC pastors did not join. Why? They don't see it, they think it's a big deal. Okay, so when some of these pastors will pay money, buy tickets, and travel to another church group conference somewhere. So that's what I'm talking about. So there are some people who are so confused that once something is close to them, because of familiarity, they downplay it. I have also seen people in action who don't see Duncan Williams as a mentor? They see Pastor Otabel as a mentor. So there are pastors in action who admire Dr. Otabel. There are pastors in ICGC who don't book Dr. Otabel. They don't even see him as nothing. But they admire Duncan Williams. You see, uh-huh. that's the problem. These people do not have discernment. They don't know how to design the leader to follow. I have come to realize that God doesn't make mistakes. Bishop Doug Howard Mills gave a testimony one time that surprised me. He said he went to the U.S., to Tulsa, to see Kenneth Hagin. You know Kenneth Hagin? I mean, in those days, not even now, in those days, Kenneth Hagin, even to get his cassette to listen, is a miracle. If you have one, and he has been playing Kenneth Hagin cassettes and wondering, wow, what a great Bible teacher. And he bought all his books. And now, first time in his life, he's going to meet him. And uh, 
because it was a camp meeting, some of most some most pastors were lodging at the Bible school hostels. And when he got there, <laughs> the seminar was ongoing. Kenevigin was teaching, and a lot of the Bible students and some of the pastors in Rama, like in the ministry, they were in the hostel relaxing and chatting. He said he almost cried, because this is what he took flight from Ghana to, and it was the most exciting moment of his life. Only to see some people rubbish it. Like, he had to think about it, whether he was doing the right thing or not. You see what is happening. Now, today, Kenevagin ministry has impacted a lot of people outside Rema. I'll give you examples. Pastor Deboe was product of Kenevagin's camp meetings. Bishop Oyedepo, name them. Doug Howard Mills. All the leading, even Dr. Otabo, he talks about how he has read all of Kenevagin's books and all that. Almost all frontliners in, in a charismatic church in, in the world today, you can trace something in them to Rema in Kenevagin. But I don't know, I'm yet to know any pastor from Rema that made it to that level. I, I can't, even his own son couldn't take the ministry to the next level because the anointing is designed. You cannot see it. The anointing is what? Designed. You cannot see it. Sometimes you can sit by it all your life and die a non-entity and somebody else from far. So, for instance, I don't understand how somebody will be an ICC pastor and not be able to teach the Bible well. But somebody to call himself an pastor, stand on the pulpit and embarrass himself. It's a sad thing. You see, that is why some ministries too, they go to the other extreme. They impose things on the pastors, like some church, I know you must read the bishop's book. You must preach from the bishop's book because people can, don't know how to design. There are extreme also. I don't wouldn't recommend it. For me, if I say somebody is a mentor, I take it seriously. I take it well. Seriously. Let's read the last scripture and then move on. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. Is it, and the things which you have Heard from me among many witnesses. Commit this to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul was telling, teaching Timothy how to mentor people. There's something we call the mentorship cycle. The things which you have what? Heard from me among many witnesses. Commit this to faithful men who will be also be able to teach others also. The principle about, about mentoring is that if you follow somebody well, you, before long, you realize that people also start following you. If you are well mentored, before long, even if you don't ask for it, people begin to ask for your mentoring. I think 2 Corinthians 11 verse 1 says that. The people who follow well, they have a lot of followers. The best leaders in the world today, they are great followers. And they are not ashamed to talk about it. That I follow this person. I follow that person. If you, if you talk to Dr. Otabolet, I think even the last conference, he talked about Billy Graham. Yeah. Billy Graham influenced Dr. Otabolet a lot till he died. He said he learned how to preach well by listening to Billy Graham. So even Dr. Otabolet was not born a great preacher. If I said the first time they asked him to preach in the fellowship, he can't remember what he said. <laughs> He said, he's, all he could remember is that he stood 
behind the pulpit. And then the, the next thing he remembers is that he went to sit down. <laughs> he said he was so tense. The tension and the fear was too much. Because all he used to do in the fellowship that time was lead prayer. He used to be the intercessor. And then others were good at preaching. And one day the leader of the fellowship said, Otabo, you are the one preaching. Give me 1 Corinthians 11. Yeah, it's 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Yeah. Paul said, imitate me, just as I also what? Imitate Christ. I think that King James, give me the King James version. He said, be ye followers of me, even as I also follow Christ. If you are properly mentored, you become a great leader who is also able to mentor other people. Let me bring you back to the last part. The key to leadership development is good mentoring. I want us to look at those scriptures. All leadership failures is as a result of poor leadership development. Now, there are some scriptures I came across. I want you to have a look at it. I'm sure the scriptures will help you remember these uh, things very seriously. All right? Now, when you read the book of Kings, when you read the book of Kings, those of you who have been doing the Bible reading challenge, when I got to the book of Kings this year, even though I've read it several times, there's something that began to trouble my heart. The first scripture I want us to read is Proverbs 4, from verse 3 to 5. Proverbs 4, verse 3 to 5. And remember, Proverbs was written by Solomon, okay? Now, he said, when I was my father's son, who was talking here? Solomon, right? He said, when I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me. Who taught him? His father. So Solomon was trying to talk about his experience with his father. He said, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words and keep my commandments and leave. This scripture tells us that David did not just put Solomon on the throne. David did a lot of mentoring, teaching. The book of Proverbs, most part of it are the notes that Solomon did when his father was teaching him. So sometimes when you see the statement like, my son, do this and that, it was David talking to Solomon, all right? Okay. Now, for instance, look, look at verse 5. Now, let's read verse 4 again. He said, he also did what? Taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. Verse 5. Get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget. So who was making this statement? David. Now, so you understand why that night when God appeared to Solomon and said, what do you want? Solomon couldn't ask for anything else except wisdom because his father told him, if you have that, you'll be a successful king. Now, this whole scripture seeks to set some trend that most of the kings, by the time they are dying, they choose their successor, all right? And they not only choose their successor, they try to teach them and train them to become the next king and successful king. But did you realize that in a very surprising way, in exception of David, most of the most successful kings in Israel, their children became very horrible on the throne. Now, I'll show you three examples. Now, who can remember some of the best kings in the Davidic dynasty. I mean, like the kings that really did well when they were ruling. Apart from David and Solomon, you should talk about somebody like 
Jehoshaphat. Who else? Hezekiah. You remember Hezekiah? Hezekiah was the one who, even when Isaiah said, God said, you're going to die, he knelt down and prayed. Hezekiah did so well. He terminated Baal worship during his reign. In fact, there was such godliness. Then the last one is Josiah. You remember Josiah? Uh-huh. Now, we will look at their children. These three people will look at their children and you'll be surprised. And this is the reason why I, I put together this presentation, actually. This is what motivated me to, to do that. So let's start with Solomon. Let's start with Solomon. The wisest man that ever lived at that time. <laughs> when he died, his son was called what? Rehoboam. Now, let's see how Rehoboam ruled. <laughs> First Kings 14 from verse 21. First Kings 14 verse 21. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all tribes to put his name there. His, not, his mother's name was Nama, an Ammonites. Now, Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they committed more than all that their fathers had done. This was under the rule of Rehoboam. As if his father didn't teach him anything about God. Let's look at the next person. 2 Kings 18, 18 verse 1 to 8. Okay. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Ella, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zachariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. This is the testimony of Hezekiah, isn't it? And the next verse. He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze, the serpent, and Mozart. For until this day, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among the kings of Judah. This is the testimony of who? Hezekiah, um, you can read on and on and on. I, I, most of you know the story. Let's read 2 Kings 20 verse 21. So Hezekiah rested with his fathers. Then Manasseh, his son, reigned in his stead. So give me the next chapter, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old. So Hezekiah is dead now. He did very well. His son is called what? Manasseh. 12 years old. When he became king and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, his mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel, for he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, has destroyed. <laughs> All the shrines which his father destroyed. <laughs> this guy went to rebuild them. <laughs> he raised up altars for Baal, and made a woody image as Ahab king of Israel had done, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord. Even in the temple, he went to build shrines. Verse 5, And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So how do you explain this? It, it, really, it really bothered me. Like, how can Hezekiah rule so well? And his son be so horrible. How can Hezekiah be so godly? And 
I think even as pastors, this is a very important lesson for us. The fact that you are very, God is with you in the house all the time, does not mean your children are going to be godly. If you don't take personal responsibility, all of us here, the fact that you are in church every day of the week, does not mean your children are going to come. Your children can end up in the shrine. Whilst you are praying in the chapel, they are bowing down to idols easily. It also means the fact that you are successful. There's not necessarily mean your children will be successful. What is this teaching us? Succession is very important. If all you do is you are so concerned about achieving success, but you are not thinking about the next generation, you are just worrying yourself because a day is coming. All that you have achieved, somebody is going to mess it up. That's why I don't believe pastors who hand over their churches to their sons because in most cases it was disaster, except Joel Austin, who was not appointed by his father. Joel Austin was not appointed by his father. His father died, and uh, the church board met, prayed, and chose him. And at the time they chose him, he never even preached in the main church before. He used to work in the multimedia, working on the father's cassettes and those things, how to make sure. That's where he used to work. But he had gone through Bible school, completed. He was busy serving in the church. He was not looking for pulpit. I watched the video. The first day he was introduced to the church, many people were not excited. That time the church was like 6,000 people. Now he had taken it to 14,000. Um, now they are almost close to 20,000. But the rest, Robert Schuller built the, glass, the first glass cathedral in the world. His son took over. The, the cathedral had been sold because he couldn't sustain the, the church. Now they've moved to a small chapel. Or a Roberts University is sold because his son, Richard Roberts, couldn't run it. Are you following? Nobody goes to Rema anymore. Rema is still there. And Kenevigan died. The revival moved to either Canaan land, you know, Hidipo's place, or Mampon, uh, Dark Heward Mills, or Redeem Camp, or Greater Works. Nobody goes to Rema anymore. So, read the last one. Second Kings 23, from verse 4 to 8. Let's, let's read verse 24 to 25. Second Kings 23, verse 24 to 25. 24. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spirits, the household gods and idols, and all the abominations that were seen in, in the land of Judah in Jerusalem, that he might perform the word of the law which were written in the book of Hekiah the priest, in the book which were written in the book that Hekiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. So this scripture is talking about most of the work that um, Josiah did. Very fantastic work is said to be the one who celebrated the Passover in the greatest way in the whole history of Israel. He brought godliness beyond understanding. But then, um, when you come to verse 30 to 32, the, his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him. That is how Josiah died. And the people of the land to Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him and made him king in his father's place. Let's read on. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was uh, Hamachua, the daughter. Did you realize that any time they talk about a successor, they mention their mother? I will, I will not be able to explain that today because of time. But do you, you, you notice that? Any time you see the kings, and he died, and his son succeeded him. They mentioned the age, the son, the son, and the mother's name. Do you see that? The next verse. And he did evil. This is Josiah's son. And he did what? Evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. So what are we seeing here? 
Now, if you don't know the tradition of appointing successors in the royal lineage of the kings of Israel, you would think these people were not taught anything. But it's not like that. At a certain age of the king, they decide who is going to succeed him, and they begin to teach, teach them. But it's not enough for somebody to be taught. The people who are taught must decide whether they want to do what they are taught or not. And this is the result. You can be taught everything in the world. Yeah. Until there is that willingness and desire to learn and to practice what was taught, these are the results we get. So Israel did not enjoy consistency of God's blessings because every now and then they have a good king and they're replaced by their children and they bring them back to the devil and then on and on and on it goes. There is a serious problem with, with the whole mentoring process. And that is an important thing I want, I want you to learn, that you can be closest to some of the smartest people and know nothing and do nothing, achieve nothing and die an entity. You can also be very successful yourself, but all the people around you will achieve nothing and know nothing and die as non-entities because they don't want to learn. It means that don't waste your effort and energy teaching everybody. Let me say that again. Don't waste your energy and effort teaching everybody. What did Paul tell Timothy? He said, the things I have taught you, committed to faithful people. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. Committed to who people, which people? So you have to be selective in deciding who you want to mentor. Let me say that again. You have to be very selective and very intentional about whom you want to mentor. You must see in the person a desire, a passion to, number one, to learn. Number two, a passion to want to develop. Number three, the ability to design. This is how Jesus put it. He said, don't, don't give a jewel to a pig. Don't give a jewel to a pig. There are certain valuable knowledge. You don't give it out cheap to people who are not ready to learn. Otherwise, one day you'll be so frustrated that, oh, you've wasted all your effort and energy for years investing to somebody who didn't even value it. Yeah, knowledge is very, very, very precious. Find people who value what you have. And what do you do? Commit more effort and time and energy to such people. And the rest, leave them to keep doing their flatteries and rhetorics. There are people who come to you and say, oh, man, are fantastic. Hey, you, you are this, you are that. Hey, when I see you, I'm happy. They are just flattering you. They are not learning nothing. And you don't waste your time on such people. You don't waste your effort on such people. You don't waste your energy on such people. You don't waste your resources on such people. You must have an eye for people who are ready to learn. Even if it's only one, it's worth it. If it's only one person, it's worth it. It also means if you have the right attitude, it won't take you long to get good mentors. Because I've realized that at a certain level of success, people have an eye for serious-minded people. It, it's not about money. It's not about money. It's about value. Let me say it again. It's about what? Value. There are people who take you seriously because even five minutes they spend with you, you value it. And you treat it very seriously. <laughs> you don't go take selfies with such people. No, you treat the moment as 
a lifetime opportunity. You treasure it. And such people, they keep wanting to pour into you. They keep wanting to spend more time with you. And, and they keep always wanting to share the little they know with you because they know it's not being wasted. Now, let me close by saying that mentoring can turn anybody into a great leader. Good mentoring can turn anybody, no matter how horrible the person's life is, no matter where you are now, no matter the situation you are in now. And I believe that whoever God uh, wanted me to talk to, the person is here. By God's grace, anytime I have something important to teach, I don't really worry about how many people come to listen to it because by God's grace, I've been able to get alternative ways of making very important things I have to reach a lot of people beyond my immediate audience. And for me, it's very important for me. I, I want to say this again. Good mentoring can turn anybody into a great leader. It doesn't matter where you are now or the situation you are now. If you have a hunger for great success, you can easily become it. And I'll give you some scriptures for this and then I'll close and then take some questions. Let's go to 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22. David therefore departed from there and escaped. Most of you have read first Samuel, you know this story, when Saul be decided to kill David and David became, became a fugitive, running away for his life. Now let's look at something interesting that happened. And he escaped to the cave of Adullam. One day when you go to Israel, you find that cave. And I encourage you, pray that God will bless you one day. You need to visit that land. Amen. I pray for all of you, at least for coming to this seminar today. That's one prayer I pray for you. That in your lifetime, you step your feet in the land of Israel. Say amen to that. Amen. Yeah, it's going to happen for you. Amen. amen. All right. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Now, remember, um, David started life not highly respected in his house. You remember? Even the day they were coming to anoint a king, the father didn't even call him to the meeting. But over time... You know, remember the day he killed Goliath, even his brother Eliab said, what are you looking for here? Why did you leave those few sheep? And uh, we are talking, soldiers are talking, and you are, you are a shepherd, you are coming to talk some. But after some time, all his brothers, and even his father, who didn't want to have anything to do with it, they come to acknowledge that there's something great about this man. And then they risked their lives. Now, David has been declared wanted, the whole land of Israel. If you are seen identifying, you know, there was a, a priest, a high priest who even gave a sword to David. He was killed by Saul. So if you identify yourself with David, you will be killed. But the, his own immediate family decided that, no, we, we have to take a stand. That is loyalty, right? Loyalty is taking a stand for someone for the rest of your life, even to death. So that is what they did. They went to him in the cave, to go and live with him there. Now, this is not all. Verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. That's very powerful. That a fugitive running away, without calling anybody, come over, he had 400 men, not 400 people, 400 men. That means if some of these people were married, 
we are looking at close 1,000 people with David in the bush. So long before David ascended the throne, he was already a leader, isn't he? So you can imagine David running around with 1,000 people. You know, it's easy to hide if you are alone. But you have a crowd of 1,000. Every time you have to be able to maneuver how you can escape. But this is not even what is very... The Bible says he became the captain over them. Now, look at the description of the people. The Bible says some were owing. That means out of depth, they have run away from town because you know how depth can sometimes make you do all manner of things. You know, some have run out of town and some of them were outlaws. That means they have misbehaved and the king, they have misbehaved against the law. They are looking for them to arrest. They've run away to all manner of places. So the people who ran to David, they were not very... Polished people. They were not people who were very well disciplined and well behaved people. Some of them were criminals. Now, it's easy to, to be a leader over people who are well behaved. But to be outlaws, to be, you know, criminals and people who are, you know, gone through all manner of things. Some are frosters and all these things. To be a leader over such people is very difficult. Now, but what David did was that he turned these people into a great army. And I'll show you that in my closing, this thing. Second, second Samuel chapter um, 23. Second Samuel 23 from verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Now, David had turned all these people to become warriors and soldiers and mighty men. Those of you who have read Kings and no, First Samuel and Chronicles, you see that, for instance, when Ziklag was bent down, you remember that story. At that time, David was not a king, but he had an army. They pursued the people. When God said, pursue, overtake, and recover, that time David was not a king. So which army were with him? It was the same people we read about in First Samuel 22. So before David became a king, he already had his own army that he came to the throne with. I'll show you. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. The first one is called Joseph Bashebeth, the Tachmonite. So you see, they are calling where they came from. Some of them were not even 100% Jews, but they entered the camp and then made allegiance to David and gained Jewish nationality through allegiance to David. Chief among the captains. He was called Adino the Esnai because he had killed 800 men at one time. Now, this guy was, was a warrior. He faced 800 men alone, finished them. So David himself was a warrior and a conqueror. He has brought up people who are as powerful like him. Let's read them. <laughs> Let's read them. And after him was Eliezer. The son of Dodo, the Alhide, one of the three mighty men with David. So David had different levels, according to your conquest. So David had the strongest of all his soldiers was the first three. After that, then there was another three, and then there was 30. If you read the whole of 2 Samuel 23, you see all of them, their names were mentioned one by one. All the 36 of them. Let's read. When they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. Verse 10. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary, 
and his hands stuck to the sword. The Lord brought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararites. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentil, so the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field and defended it and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought a great victory. Then three of the 30 chiefs, 30 chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troops, so you, you see the cave of Adullam being mentioned there. So the same place that the, they went to meet him, it became their garrison, like their base. It became their base. Now you see most of these people being mentioned, they fight alone. They don't believe in army. They fight alone. And what they had become, because they came into contact with a very great leader. So the three mighty men, which we have read about, they broke the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gates and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, David would not drink it. You know, one day David said, oh, I wish I can get water from the well in Bethlehem. And at that time, the Philistine garrison was in Bethlehem. That means, when I say garrison, it means the strongest and the most potent soldiers of the Philistines were there in Bethlehem. These three guys said, if David was water, let's go get him water. And they broke through the stronghold, fought and fetched the water and brought it to this. said, this one is from... And David couldn't drink it. He said, too much risk for that. But why did they do that for David? Because of what David invested into them. Because of what David invested into them. The next verse. And he said, far be it for me that I should do this. This is not the blood of men who went in jeopardy of their lives. Therefore, we will not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. Let's read on. Joab. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zerah, was chief among another three. So that is the next level of the people. He lifted up his spear against 300 men and killed. So, you know, the first level, they could stand 800 and above. <laughs> Abishai and his people, they can, they can face 300 soldiers, one man, and finish them. So they, they were not up to the first three. Was he not the most honored of the three? Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. Um, I, I just want you to look at um, these things. Let's read 2 Samuel, sorry, 2 Samuel 21 from verse 15. I'm getting ready to end my teaching. 2 Samuel 21 verse 15. Okay, so let's look at this story. Let's look at this story. When the Philistines were at war against, again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines. And David became faint. That means he was tired. Then Ishibonet, who was one of the sons of the giant? Who do you think the giant is talking about? Maybe Goliath or Goliath's father or something. We can't tell. One of the Philistines, the Bible called him the son of the giant. He decided to, uh, he said, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him and said, You shall not go out, you shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamb out of Israel. Now, so that day, if not for Abishai, David would have died. But David had men who had become as strong as him or even stronger. 
and yet still very loyal. Now, I'm trying to let you see the beginning of these people. They were, people were in debt, people were outlaws, criminals, people didn't have where to go, some of them didn't have a home, who went to David, but look at what they have become. And give me the next verse. Now it happened afterward that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibekai, the Hushatite, killed Saf, who was one of the sons of the giants. So Goliath was not the only problem for Israel. There were many other giants that came later, but David didn't kill any of them. He trained people who killed them. He, David trained people who could take them on and, 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 and kill them. Again, there was war, and there was war at Gob with the Philistines, where um, Elhanan, the son of Jare, whatever, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath. So now, I think the other people were, who are being called sons of the giant were either Goliath's brothers. So David's mighty man, he said, he killed the brother of Goliath, the Gittites, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Look at verse 20. Yet again, there was war at Gath where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers. These are the people we call the Bible Anakims. They are six fingers, six toes. Tall, huge, some of them are 10 feet. When you see him coming, nobody will tell you, run. It is David and his mighty men who wiped out the whole of the, that race. Wiped them out clean. Six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. And he also was born to the giant. So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, David's brother, killed him. These four were born to the giant in God and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Last scripture. David had experienced a coup d'etat. What is happening here? David's son, Absalom, had revolted and done a coup. Successful coup. And the whole of Israel and the armies of Israel has went, have gone on Absalom's side. But let's look at what happened. Second Samuel 15, verse 14. David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So there was a time in David's life, he realized his life was in danger if he stays in, in Jerusalem. You see, warriors know when to run and when to stand. Generals know that very well that sometimes you need to lose a battle in order to win the war. The next verse. And the king's servants said to the king, we are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord, the king, commands. Then the king went out with all his household after him. But the king left ten women, concubines, to keep the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. Uh-huh. Then all his servants passed before him, and all the Cheritites, all the Pelletites, and all the Gittites, 600 men who had followed him from Gath. Now, this is where my emphasis is. I took you through a whole process of seeing that David has started training his army from the cave of Adullam. David started training an army of people who were with him for many years before he became the king. So when he became king, these people were his close circuit soldiers before they were the general 
army of um, Israel. Now, this is what happened. During the coup, the general army of Israel, all of them went on Absalom's side. But the people who came from the bush with him, they were with him. And these are the description of them. You know, some of you, if you, if you like, you can find out the meaning of this word. The Charitites, the Pelletites, the Gittites. These were the people that met him. Some Bible commentaries say some of them were mercenaries. Living in the bush, they, they live by raiding People take their, and then, you know, they're living criminal lives. And David turned them into an army, very organized. And the wonderful thing about these people is that they were very loyal and very faithful and very committed. Just 600, but they were dangerous because one can take 800 people. So you can imagine, these people never left him. And it was these people that went to fight to regain the throne for David. Now, look at where their life started from from the cave of Adullam. There were nobodies. So I just want you to see, David had a very great and fantastic army, but he did not pick them out from very well-organized sources. But I'm saying that mentoring is very powerful because it can turn the worst of people into the best of leaders. If it's well done, if the mentor is good, the follower is good, the result is always amazing. The result is always amazing. The result is always fantastic. And so I want you to understand something. How much you take leadership development seriously determines the results and the outcomes you make in life because leadership is not an issue in the church. It's a life you live. David became a great king because his leadership skill was fantastic. Right from the bush all the way to the throne and the rest of his life. He achieved such success, was so greatly respected, not just because he was king. Remember, many kings came after him, but none of them was as great as David. Why? Because leadership is not just about a title. It's about who you are. And I, I want to encourage every one of you to understand something. If you want to get very, very far in life, Mentoring is something you don't play with. Don't play with it. Take advantage of it. Do it well. And the result will be amazing. There is, there is no self-made person anywhere. There is no self-made person anywhere. Every great person you see in the world can trace his success to somebody he decided to follow. Apostle Paul said, I was a student of Gamaliel. Moses, the man who talked with God face to face, he had to study under a priest called Jethro. Even Jesus himself, there was a time he didn't preach, he learned. You know that? Yeah, it's in Luke chapter 2. The Bible said that he was found in a temple after three days. Find out what he was doing. He wasn't preaching. The Bible said he was listening and asking questions. He was listening and asking questions. And the people that were talking to him, the people they called the doctors of the law, so even Jesus, there was a time he had to sit down in a temple, he had to listen and ask questions. That is what good followers do. They listen, they ask questions, they learn. There is no self-made person anywhere. And the fact that you are close to a great mentor does not mean you will become successful if you don't know how to follow through the process. You don't know how to follow through the process. You mention big names. Oh, this person is my mentor. This person, it doesn't mean you amount to anything. 
And sometimes, you know, you know, one day myself and a friend of mine, we met a man of God in Legon. That time I was doing my master's program. We met a certain man of God and went to greet him. And my friend said, oh, my pastor is so, so, and so. He said, you are his mentor. And the man of God doesn't know the person. This friend of mine, his pastor used to say, oh, this person is my mentor. I go to him all the time, blah, 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 blah. It is like you met somebody. You met Pastor Eric. And he said, oh, Pastor Hubert is my pastor. He said, you are his mentor. And Pastor Eric said, no, I don't know anybody by that name. When God brings people into your life, the purpose is to, you know, God will always use men to take us where he's taking us. Even when he wanted to save us, he had to come like a human being and die on the cross. So there is nothing you can become without the instrumentality of a human being. Do it by you, do it through people. God wants to use to bring out the best in you and how you can take advantage of the process and go through the process. Learn what you need to learn. Do the things you are learning from these people. Practice it. Not trying to invent the wheel. There are people I meet, they just want to do what they think. That's all. They just want to do what they think. They don't model after anybody. They don't, they don't learn from anybody. Success doesn't come like that. There are times you must never do what you think. You must do what you have learned. Sometimes it may not make sense to you, but you must do it. And, and that is how to achieve great success. And that is how, and please, if your leadership skill is bad, you can never be successful in anything you do. Can I say that again? Yeah. If your leadership skill is bad, you can be anointed man of God, but you can't have a great church. You can't even have a great ministry. If your leadership skill is bad, you can have a great voice and a horrible musician. If your leadership skill is bad, you can be a very successful business person alone, but you can't build a great organization. That is why sometimes every now and then you meet a very good doctor, one of the best doctors in the world, but he can't manage a small hospital. In the consulting room, he's fantastic, but organizational level, horrible. There are some great footballers who can never coach a team. Haven't you seen it all the time? They can't coach one team to achieve anything because leadership is different from personal skill. In your lifetime, you will meet a very good lawyer who can run a law firm. But leadership takes your individual ability to the next level, organizational abilities. And that is where the prosperity is. The money is in the organizational level, not at your individual level. And because I'm a pastor, let me say this. I've met many anointed pastors who failed horribly. Anointing is not everything. You can be anointed and a complete failure in ministry. You can be, an, you can be gifted more than anything and a complete failure because the blessing, success, is not just in being anointed. It's being a good leader. Once it has to do with people, so I pray that these important principles can help you to become the best you were born to be all the remaining days of your life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Let me take some questions. If there's no question, we close now. But I, I know there will be questions. Okay, question number. Please, the question time is equally important. So when somebody's asking a question, and please, can I say something? No question is stupid, all right? Every question is important. So listen to the question. You may get your question answered, uh, or you may learn more as we answer the questions. So 
And don't feel shy and don't be afraid. Everybody, you have a right to ask a question. All right, so Doc, Doc let's start with you. Thank you. Um, uh, I've been struggling to construct the question, but maybe that is why I have to ask. Um, the mentor's success and then the mentee's inability to emulate the success. I know you've said a lot about how the men mentee's failure sometimes, I mean, some of the characteristics we fail to emulate those things. Um, I've observed sometimes that the, we, the followers, or who are supposed to be mentors, sometimes our reaction to sometimes the supposed failures of the mentors or the people ahead of us sometimes uh, do not help in our success. So how do you... I, I get your question. <laughs> yes. Very, very, very important question. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the answer is simple. No mentor is 100% perfect. No mentor you meet is 100% perfect. So when you find a mentor, you are not only learning from his success, his experience, and his skill. You are also learning from his failures. Did David have some failures? Yes, he did. One of them was Bathsheba and the dying of Uriah. And do you know what Ahitophel did with that? Ahitophel became bitter because Uriah was Ahitophel's nephew. So Uriah called Ahitophel uncle. So when Uriah died and Ahitophel found out that David did not kill him, Ahitophel became annoyed and decided to retaliate David. So the whole rebellion of Absalom was masterminded by Ahitophel. And then they said, the Bible said that that man was so wise that when he gave counsel, you are finished. So when David heard that Ahitophel was in Absalom's camp, he started praying. Psalm 3 was David's prayer against Ahitophel. You know the result. Ahitophel died because an anointed man lifted up prayer. So you don't learn from the success of your mentor only. You learn also from his failures. The failure of your mentor is telling you you shouldn't do that. So when your, when your mentor makes fail somewhere, you don't criticize it, you learn from it. If you criticize it, you will repeat it. Any failure of your mentor you criticize, you repeat. But when you learn from it, you, you avoid it. And anybody you choose to be your mentor, you will hear people tell you things. And some of the people criticize successful people. They don't, they don't even achieve much. They don't do much in life. And the closer you get to people, the more of their mistakes you see. That is why it is interesting that it is rather people far away who always benefit from a successful person than the people close. I get me, yeah. So, yeah, sometimes preaching here, my members are sitting outside chatting. But me too, when I go to Christ Temple, I see it. I see people chatting in the lobby when Doc is preaching, so I know it's not because I'm a bad preacher. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. So, pastors, don't be discouraged when, you, when your members are on their phone while you are preaching. It's not that you are a bad preacher. Some people won't mind you. No matter how good you are, they don't think you are any important. But continue to be good. Somebody will come looking for it. Somebody will come looking for it. Is it a thing? Somebody will come looking for it. So, God has a way of making you know if you are decide to do something good, just commit to it. All right. Okay. I hope I've answered you. 
Yes. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes, sir. Thank you so. Oh, you much can sit down and ask your questions. Uh, let me. Uh-huh. Let me okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, I'm one of the young pastors who has been blessed by your ministry. God bless you so much. Yeah. In a way, you were answering my question when don't ask. Okay. Uh, trying to do, but I, I want to ask. Okay. Maybe uh, I'll get more clarity. Yeah. Uh, what it means is that if a mentee is seeing a mentor as if he's making a mistake. Sorry. If a mentee seeing a mentor mm-hmm. as if what he's doing is making a mistake, mm-hmm. how do you handle that? Um, Please, I'm I don't think, know. I don't know if you. Yeah, I get you. Me. I get you. Yeah, you see somebody as a mentor, he's making mistakes. You do nothing. Learn from the mistake and. Because you don't qualify to rebuke or correct somebody you call your mentor. Yeah. Or even criticize. You don't qualify. You pray for him and you hope that somebody at his level or above him will correct him. That is why you don't follow somebody who is not following anybody. You don't follow somebody who is following nobody. So if you, if, yes. Now, if the person is truly following somebody, there are some mistakes you will not make. Because there are some things my pastor won't think of doing. Because somebody is going to rebuke him. Hard. And there are some things that will not cross my mind. <laughs> you understand? Yeah, because some people are going to come after me. Serious. So when you f- follow somebody who is following nobody, then if he's making mistakes, it becomes problematic. I think there was an issue between Archbishop Duncan William and Idahosa before. I think some of you have heard it. Yeah. Idahosa did something wrong to Archbishop Duncan William. And he went to Ara Roberts. He went to the U.S. He went to report him to her because at that time, Idahosa submit to Ora Roberts and T.L. Osborne. Yeah. Even Idahosa submitted to somebody. So if you call somebody your mentor, he must have a mentor. Otherwise, he should not be your mentor. So pray for him and wait. Or if it's a serious thing, you can go to his mentor if you, if you can take that risk. Or you leave it there. Okay, uh-huh. All right, thank you, Pastor. You've made two statements mm. that I picked. Okay. Good mentorship can turn any, uh, anybody into a good leader. Yeah. You also said, do not waste your energy or effort, paraphrased, mm. in mentoring just anybody. Yeah. I'm trying to reconcile these the two. two. Okay, yes. Yes. Um, so good mentorship is taking vest into because the mentoring process, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of, it involves a lot. So for you to do it for years, and you know coaching is short term. Mentoring can take a long time. So for you to do it only to realize after 10 years that you were just wasting your energy. This guy is not following you. He's not even learning from you. He doesn't care about you. It can be very frustrating. So I prefer you be very intentional because there are a lot of things I watch. Uh-huh. Because if somebody says I'm his mentor, there are things I watch to be sure, yes, I am. There are, and there are things I watch and I know this one I'm not. He's just saying something for the sake of it. All right. Um, but I'm looking at it in this sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. The person who's not, in quotes, serious, uh-huh. is there a way that, you know, that's, I'm looking at it in terms of demand and supply. Okay. Let's say demand side, what can be done to help him to, help to value. Him. Yes. Yeah, that's it. To yes. raise him so out to the level. That's why the seminars like this are important. Because at seminars like this, in fact, that's the main reason why I, put, I did this. Because I realized that this word mentor, people have used it just for the sake of it. But they really don't understand it. And so I felt people need to know what it is. 
Some people think a mentor is somebody whose success you ride on to become popular. You know, because you can leverage yourself on somebody's success. So some people think, some people even think mentoring is, a mentor is somebody you get close to so that you can get other material and, you know, financial supply from the person. So some people call you a good father because you give them money all the time. The day the money stops, you are no more a good father. You know, so there are many, many misconceptions um, to that. And, you know, but mentoring is not happening unless there's a learning process. Sometimes, if it's an issue of ignorance, you can help the person to see that, look, this is what we should do. Because I've realized that the people who get close to successful people in order to learn, they become greater than those who get close to successful people only because they want something material. Because I tell people, all that made me to have the money I have now, I can teach you. I can take anybody from the scratch and make the person become as to the level I am now. Easily. But how many people want to do, learn that? Most of the time, people are more interested in what I give them financially or a door I open for them or, and things like that. So it is the misconception about it that we have to try to clarify. I remember I, I went with my pastor to a program uh, those days when I used to be is Amon Bera. And when we came, a, a friend of mine said, oh, so how? Can you find something for me? I said, oh, I don't have anything. So, oh, but the program, when didn't they give you anything? And I said, no, I don't follow my pastor to programs because I want to get money. I follow him because I want to serve. And I realized that one of the keys to contacting the anointing is to serve a man of God. So I, I follow him, carry his Bible. When his ministry, I carry the oil bowl. I mean, I did that for years. Today, I'm not carrying his Bible. I'm not holding his oil bowl. And I'll never need any money from him. By the grace of God, I'm telling you. I don't need his money. I don't need him to buy me a shirt or, or even travel with me abroad. I'm opening my own doors to travel abroad. Because if you have what he has, you have the same results. That is how it should be. Sometimes you can help people to understand what the mentoring is all about so they can stop using the word wrongly. I don't know what I've answered you. Yeah, I think I've got it. I think attitude yeah. of the mentee yes. is ultimate. Very, very. So, that is it. The attitude. So the attitude is not to learn. I think I have a three questions. Three, okay, let's go. The first one is, um, the first one is can I look for somebody to be a mentor to me without a person knowing from afar. Yes. Without yes. having a physical contact. Without with meeting the person. the person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When, when God called me into the miracle ministry, he told me to follow Benny Hinn. I've never met Benny Hinn before. But when it comes to the miracle ministry, Benny Hinn is my mentor. I have all his books. And I listen to him every week. That's how he meant. And I watch his videos. So you can even be mentored by people who have died. By their materials. Or they are alive, but you've not met them. I started learning from Dr. Otabi long before I met him the first time. So you can be mentored by people, by their materials. You see, by the attitude, like uh, Mr. Ken said, the attitude. If the focus is to learn, that's it, it happens. And people have contacted even some grace from men they never met. And there are people with that person who never caught the grace. But God doesn't just waste the anointing. 
and people don't value it. Then the next one is um, if you go to your mentor with a particular issue, okay, and then he advises you what to do. Mm-hmm. Is it that you have to take that advice, hoka and sinka, as a wholesome, knowing very well that maybe in your own understanding, what the mentor is saying possibly could not be real with you? Well, if- I, I personally, if I don't want to be advised on an issue, I don't go for advice. But once I go, I have already committed myself to do anything I'm told. Because I cannot go to my pastor and he said, do this, and then I left. Then why did you go for the advice? And let me say, as you go through mentoring, you are also learning. You are also growing. So there are things you should be able to manage at your level. There are things you should be able to know how to handle. But when the thing is beyond you, and you go to your mentor, it's not everything he'll tell you that will make sense to you. And there are many things I've done without knowing why I did it. For, For example, when my landlord came and he's selling here, I called my pastor, I said, buy it. I didn't say one more thing, buy it. I'm building a chapel. And this place out for sale. He said, buy here. Then he started a whole challenge for me. And then I went to Pastor Kujo, he said, buy it. So the question, you ask them, what happens to that project? For now, let me obey what they are saying. So my issue is, if you don't want an advice on an issue, don't go for it. Do what you think you can do, and let's hope it works out. <laughs> if it doesn't work out, you learn from your failures and you move on. But once you go, if you don't take it, the person won't say anything. But it has, you have given him an impression of yourself. Because sometimes what, take, what makes mentors to take you seriously is what you did with some of the most unreasonable things they said. That is what they watch. Reverend, yeah, mm. my last question is okay. this. I'm drawing it from David's interaction with uh, his son Solomon. Solomon, yeah. When he was about to pass on, mm. and after Solomon was um, crowned a king, David called Solomon and advised him. But David said something, when I read it, I makes doesn't make so much sense <laughs> to me. Regarding his um, army commander, Joah. Yeah. And I was wondering, he told... <laughs> his son, to deal with Joah at the wisdom he himself wished to. But if you look at the advice, you realize that even though Joah did something again, I mean, for him, David wasn't comfortable with it because his argument was that Joab kills so and so people. Yeah. So David asked the son to deal with him. And immediately... In summary, he was telling Solomon, kill him. Exactly. Because he said, don't let him die peacefully. Yes. My question is, can a mentor enemy become your enemy? Sometimes. Sometimes, yes. Your mentor's enemy can become your enemy. Because taking sides with your mentor's enemy is disloyalty. So for me, anybody who speaks evil of my pastor, I don't have anything to do with you. How will you feel if the most trusted person in your church takes sides with your enemy? How will you feel? You feel betrayed. Your mentor's enemy. If somebody hates Dr. Otterville, me and him, we can't get along. I was asked to come and do a program on a particular TV station before. And that guy, that the owner of the TV said he always liked insulting Dr. Otterville and 
all the time. And I told the people I cannot come because I don't want to end up insulting him too. So sometimes you have to be very mindful of the other. It can affect you, yeah, big time. Sometimes you can be here and you, you just see that they are, you have been moved somewhere. You don't even know what you have done. <laughs> but it is because of some of these things. So remember, Joab was among the people who went to David in the cave of Adullam and was with him all through. So David was angry with Joab, but he couldn't touch him because it would, it would be a sign of this unfaithfulness or ingratitude. And remember, all those great warriors that we read about, Joab was their commander. And Joab was also very influential and powerful. David decided, no problem. You know, Joab killed uh, Abner. We had David's knowledge. Joab killed another guy called Amasa. Amasa was a general of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh -huh. And David wanted to use him to replace Joab. And Joab saw the trick quickly. We finished him, you know, and Joab had a lot of disloyalty in him, but he was also a very useful warrior. Like he fights his heart out for David. So now what do you do with such a person? So it was, it's a very great leadership. That should tell you the, how good a leader David was to have people like Joab as, a, as his general. David knew that if he doesn't do something about Joab, he would trouble Solomon. And Solomon was not a warrior like David. I get him. Solomon was a young man who hasn't known anything about fighting. That's what David knew. I can manage Joab. But David knew that if Joab doesn't die, he would trouble Solomon. By the way, do you know Joab was not in support of Solomon becoming king? Joab is the one who went to encourage Adonijah. Joab was in Adonijah's camp. So that alone tells you that Solomon has trouble. Simple advice, it's get rid of this guy. So that's, that's the answer. Yeah, yes. And who has the microphone? Uh -huh. But please, I wanted to ask about, um, for somebody like my kids, mm -hmm. I've always had, growing up, I've always had um, guys, men, as my mentors. Must I have a woman as a no, mentor? No, no. There's no gender issue. It has to be an issue of a good mentor, that's all. It doesn't have to be gender. Okay. Yeah. And then also, um, can a mentor change? As in, can you change a mentor? And what are some of the circumstances that will lead to something like that? Yes. Number one, if you get to his level and he's not growing anymore, and you want to grow more, you have to change the person. That's why I said, follow a mentor is also following somebody. Because if the person is following somebody, he won't stop growing. Or he's no more what you knew him to be. He has changed. You know, people change sometimes. Uh, maybe he was very good and all of his principles, values, but now everything is corrupted. You change. So mentoring is not a lifetime vow. It's not a lifetime vow you make. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank you very much. Um, so my question is um, on what the difference between a role model and a mentor is. And I'm asking that because of the example that you cited with Benny here. What's the difference between a role model and a mentor? A role model is somebody that you just admire. That's all. But a mentor is not just admiration. It's somebody you learn from. Yeah, so Benny is not my role model. 
And I don't think leadership has any place for role models. Leadership doesn't have that. It's an issue of either the person is your coach or your mentor. Because admiration alone is nothing. It won't change anything in your life. But when you take the next step to try to see what you can learn from the person, what are the person's secrets, what are the, what are the consistent pattern of practice and things like that, and, 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 and then that is, that is what is important. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, thank you, Pastor. I once listened to Pastor Adeboe on his encounter with the Kenny Higgins. Okay. Like he said, he said they went for one of the conferences, come meetings, come yeah. meetings, and he wanted to book an appointment, and they said, "No, you can't meet this man." So me, I have to meet him. <laughs> so he managed to get an appointment with him, and others from Africa also went there. And when people sat. He asked him, what do you want? He said, well, I want to distribute your booze. Others say, I want to do this. So when he went there, he asked, what do you want? to see me, I want everything in you. Everything in you. The man said, okay. Then the man prayed for him. He said, by the time he raised up, it means he fell under the anointing. Mm. So based on it, it means that the man transferred something to, to him. him. Yeah. So the question is, the, for him getting that impartation, was it because he followed the man with his heart because we made a very important point that people always believe that oh, when this man lays the hands on me, I will get the transfer of anointing. Yeah. Which Dr. Obtabel made a comment in Kumasi and people about, yeah. yes, uh, misunderstood him about impartation. Mm. So the question of uh, is following somebody with your heart and the person transferring the whatever he has to you, like uh, Pastor Deboe's case, mm -hmm. how important is this, especially in ministry? Because I know a lot of Pastors believe in the, uh, this man prays for me. Even if I greet this man, that will transfer a lot of anointing to me. How? Yeah. Dynamics? You know, without, without any mentoring process, without any deliberate process of learning from somebody and following the person consistently over a period, no laying on of hands will, will impart anything. That's why Adeboye received something is because he probably has been following him for a long time, listening to all his teachings, reading his books, trying to model after him and all that. So that's, and you see, God looks at the heart. That is one, he looks at the heart. And he doesn't only look at that, he looks at your motive. Why do you want that anointing? Somebody else will say, oh, let me get that anointing so that I can build a beach and get a lot of money in my pocket. You understand? Uh -huh. So even the motive behind the desire for the anointing, God looks at that before him. So some people won't get anything because God doesn't want to give. I mean, look at Elijah and Elisha. Elisha served Elijah for a long time and learned a lot. So what happened by the River Jordan was just the climax in the case of even Elijah and Elisha, Elijah did not even lay hands on him, but he still received the anointing because the anointing is not only transferred by laying on of hands, but when the condition is met, it gets transferred. It gets transferred. Like, you know, Oedipo's case, he never met Kenevin personally. He said he was sitting in the congregation when something happened to him. He felt the power of God upon him and he heard the voice of God in the camp meeting. So people had different experiences. 
I know people who have slept, dreamt, they saw a man of God came to him, prayed for him, and from that day. So the thing, it's God, but you have to make sure that you are doing things right. Any more questions? No more questions. Okay, put our hands together. Let's, let's rise up and pray. Let's rise up and pray. I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to ask the Lord to give you grace. And uh, I, I trust God that uh, some of you here, in the near future, you will rise to very sensitive places of leadership and influence. And God will do great things with your life and make a difference in other people's life. Amen. I want you to ask God, leadership is not an easy thing. It is a very, very uh, challenging responsibility. But God is looking for people. Amen. Ezekiel 22 verse 30 says, I sought for a man that will stand in the gap. So God is always looking for people. And I think some of you, you should reach out to God today and say, Lord, I'm here. I want to be one of the people you can trust. In your family, God is looking for somebody. At your workplace, God is looking for a man. You know, in our nation, God is looking for people. Even in our churches, God is looking for someone. Amen? God is looking for people. God is looking for people. The Bible said that many are called, but few are chosen. So there is always scarcity and shortage of the right materials, the people that can become very influential and very outstanding in their field of endeavor. And I think that you can become one of such people that God will raise to make a difference. And so I want you to pray right now. Commit yourself into God's hands. Ask him to give you more wisdom and understanding. Lord, we pray for wisdom. We pray for understanding. We pray for your guidance in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I give you praise. I give you glory, I give you honor, I give you adoration. I bless your holy name, I exalt you, Lord. Receive the glory and the praise. Blessed be your name forever, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you, Father, I give you praise. In Jesus' name. Father, to, today I thank you so much for everything that you have caused us to learn. I pray for everyone that has been a part of this seminar. I ask that you give everyone wisdom and understanding. I pray in the name of Jesus that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of excellence, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation will come upon everyone. In the name of Jesus, the power of God that causes, that, that creates intelligence, that creates discretion and prudence, 
that guides people into success. I pray that that power will come upon everyone in their deliberations, in their decisions, in their thinking, and in all that they do, may they excel in the name of Jesus. I destroy every work of the enemy, every assignment of the enemy against their life and destiny. I destroy every assignment of the devil, every power of darkness, every demonic agenda to frustrate and to sabotage anyone's destiny. Today, I command it destroyed. In the name of Jesus. And I pray that wisdom will increase to everyone. In understanding will increase to everyone. Intelligence will increase to everyone. In all that they do in the remaining years to come, may you cause them to excel and to make significant progress in all that they do, whether in ministry, in business, in every other area of life. May they excel, greatly excel in Jesus' name. Amen. today's message. You can contact Reverend Hubert on 030-340-7970 or 024-33-11201. Remain blessed.